We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This week, we'll be talking about uh, the Premier League, which is back. It is upon us. It is happening. It is rolling. It is exciting. Uh, we'll be talking about Major League Soccer as that continues to roll along. We're talking about Neymar, oh, our good friend Neymar, and all of his antics, what he's getting up to. Uh, also, the continued NWSL exodus, question mark, uh, and so much more. But first, joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, and my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you on this Monday, September 14th in the year 2020? I am doing well, all things considered. All think, well, what are we considering here? I mean, you know, I, I know it, it's, uh, it's not fashionable. It's completely understandable for people to be a little bit down at times, even down in the dumps, given uh, the you-know-what sandwich that 2020 <laughs> is. Uh, what's, what's the problem? Has something happened over the last week to make you any uh, more or less uh, happy with your lot in life? Well, I, I had a hike planned for yesterday morning with a buddy, and he uh, dropped out because he didn't want to go hiking in the smoky air, so... Uh, yeah, the situation in Los Angeles is is uh, is very problematic. There's no denying it. It is, and and we should probably uh, mention and and uh, certainly uh, send our uh, thoughts out to those that are affected it much much more so than we are here in Los Angeles, but all up and down the West Coast, including uh, all the way up to uh, Washington and uh, Oregon and all the uh, the folks over there. It's it's crazy. It's just uh, nuts. So hopefully everybody uh, that is listening and watching is being uh, being safe. We don't. We, while, while it's obviously affecting the entire West Coast and the air quality in terms of the indicators um, have, have, have peaked up and spiked up, I, I don't know about you, but I don't necessarily see it. I mean, we, we do have some, some uh, dusting, I guess, of the, uh, of, the, of the setting here in Los Angeles, but I, I, also, I, don't, I don't necessarily smell it in the way that I have with other wildfires that we have had, uh, had in the past. But that indicator is out there. I, I did go outside. Your friend didn't uh, get you he or she is probably much smarter than both of us. I did go outside and I went for a run. I didn't feel any worse for wear uh, and I didn't feel necessarily any different. The sunsets are 
are beautiful, uh, which is great, except the reason why they're so beautiful is because of the, uh, the, the smoke out there. Are you feeling it in your everyday life? Uh, no, my neck of the woods, as you mentioned, is okay. Uh, not so bad. So, um, plugging along. Well, uh, I'm sorry you didn't get to have your hike there, but we also know that you do plenty of, uh, of work at home watching stuff. So what'd you watch this week, my friend? Anything interesting out there? Nothing television wise. Uh, quite frankly, until the crown comes back in November, I'm probably going to take a little bit of a hiatus from television, but I do have a strong book recommendation. Oh, what do you got? I'm reading right now a book called Say Nothing, which is about the troubles in Northern Ireland. Ooh. And I actually um, covered a League MX game uh, last night, uh, uh, Tijuana against Cruz Azul, and it was Keith Costigan and Warren Barton on the call, an Irishman and an Englishman. And as soon as they arrived, I brought up the book to them I had been reading. And, and yeah, they, they actually had a lot to say about it and, and a lot of memories, and, and Keith in particular growing up in Ireland mm -hmm. told me some, some pretty fascinating stories about how that conflict affected his life. So, um, yeah, no, it's, it's a fascinating book. Uh, I, I highly recommend it. It's actually uh, written by Patrick Radden Keith, who was the guy who did the Wind of Change podcast. Oh, neat. So that guy is neat. providing me with quite a bit of Wow, work. it's um, impressive. Yeah. Um, um, no, I'm sorry, go ahead. Quick, I'm sorry to interject here, but I think it's important. Uh, what is a book? It's called Say Nothing. No, oh, what, said, what, is, a what book? is a book, my friend? For those of us out there, uh, no, listen, uh, I, 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 have you finished it? Is it done? Uh, not yet, but okay. uh, the pace I'm going, a couple days, I'll be done. Are you an actual hard uh, copy physical book or are you an e-reader? Uh, I am a hard copy physical book. And in fact, I still enjoy uh, going to a bookstore and, and browsing through books and, and picking out books that way, which I know is so passe at this point. I mean, no, I, I mean, like it's a, such, I have such, a, such a I have book a gift hipster. card from Amazon, which like I could pretty much buy anything I want using that gift card, but I still find myself walking into bookstores and, and, and browsing. I, I don't know. I, I just love that. I, I'm, God, I love that whole book. You're store. such a poser, such a, a book hipster out there. I mean, I, you know, I go down uh, and read my book at the, at the beach, but it's in the form of, uh, it's electronic. It's, a, it's Kindle when I'm, uh, when I'm reading those books. I, I did start, I know last week we talked about uh, podcasts and uh, I, I did start a uh, one on Wondery over there called Bunga Bunga, which is about Servio Silvio Berlusconi uh, and that whole era, and I know you're you're often fascinated with uh, with Italy and Italians and all that kind of stuff, and to to see his rise and to see what he became, and to a certain extent his fall in the form of a podcast, that was really good. And then, <clears throat> obviously, with um, you know, with the yet another passing anniversary of the horrible events from September 11th, uh, where you know, all the different televisions and all the media, you see it again and it's all brought up again. I went back and uh, I'm listening to Blindspot, which is a, it's basically the road to 9-11, goes all the way back into the 80s and how it all came about, both with the first attack on the uh, on the World Trade Center and then obviously the second and, uh, and what ended up being 9-11. Uh, it's just, it's fascinating to see all the things that happened, all the things that were missed along the way. Um, so that's another one that, uh, that I would recommend. I'm on my way with, uh, with that one. Uh, anything else, Moss, before we uh, head on? Very quickly on the podcast sure. front. Um, I neglected to mention last week uh, the Fiasco podcast series on Luminary. Yes. They've, yes. Uh, they've done a season on the uh, Bush-Gore uh, 2000 election. They've done a season on the Iran-Contra affair. And now their latest season, they just released it recently, is on the Boston busing 
scandal of the 1970s, which I'm going to start listening to this week. So yeah, nice. I, I recommend that as well. Nice, nice. All right. Well, there's some recommendations of what we're doing. T- t- television wise, I too did not, uh, nothing jumped out at me. I, look, I, I was watching plenty of television, but nothing really jumped out at me. Although I will say this and we'll, we'll, I'll finish it here. I know I've been extolling the virtues and I think fairly and rightly so of uh, the Ted Lasso uh, series that now I'm hooked, hook, line and sinker, I am in. This past episode, and this is often the case, uh, I would think, for any type of series that you're watching, it <clears throat> it bordered on jumping jumping the shark a little bit. It didn't jump it didn't jump the shark, but it part of what I liked about and have really loved about the thing is that it it's never been what I thought it was going to be and what I feared it was going to be, and that's a that, that's a compliment. That is a that is a good thing. Uh, it, it went a little bit. It went a little bit big. I mean, ultimately, at its core, I've, t- I've told you about the heart that it is, and the and, you know the, and it's not just a comedy. But at its at its core, you have one of the great comedic actors uh, working today, in Jason Sudeikis, and and he's surrounded by a very good cast that is oftentimes very very funny and subtly funny and, and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, I'm just saying that I was almost taken out of it this week. But I'm still there. I'm still 100%. I love it. And they've done a good job. But, you know, you, they go up and down. And, and, and it might just be my individual reaction. I know a lot of people have been watching and I know some people didn't have that reaction. Actually, some people really enjoyed this week specifically because of what maybe has taken me out of it. And I'm not giving anything away for those of you that hadn't been watching. You might not even watch it, but I know we've talked about this in the past. And I just wanted to keep you updated on uh, what it is because I can't binge it because I started it and didn't realize it that it was a, a continuing thing and that there's a whole, even a whole nother season coming uh, coming out. I did finish uh, Cobra Kai though. It's phenomenal and evidently there's a whole nother season coming out. So and that was something that both I enjoyed and my family enjoyed and that's not always the case when we're, when we're watching stuff. Anything Mossy? That's it. All right uh, let's light this candle. You ready? Yep. All right, as you know, we just dive right into it here, uh, and we are going to with the return of uh, the EPL. Uh, we, <laughs> it seems like it was just over, and in certain ways it was, but it's back. It is uh, flying. There is, you know, the best laid plans when it comes to coaches and clubs, the highest of hopes and ambitions when it comes to teams, and oftentimes <laughs> all it takes is one game to have those uh, those fears confirmed, uh, or there's ho- there's hopes confirmed. We saw a lot of different interesting things uh, happen this week. I guess let's start Mossy with uh, with Liverpool because they are now the reigning champions and coming off such a incredible performance this last season, and not a whole lot of time. And they turn around, and now everyone's back to square one. Everyone's back at zero. But this is still a juggernaut of a team. And what made it so interesting, not just that it was the first time that we were seeing them in the form of the 2020-2021 season, <clears throat> season, excuse me, but also against another team that finally has returned to the Premier League in Leeds. And obviously, as we talked about last week, being led by one of the most uh, interesting and eccentric and romantic type of figures that our game has probably, probably seen. Uh, and he certainly will be up there as, as one of those when all is uh, said and done in uh, Bielsa. What, was your, what were your initial thoughts uh, for those that didn't watch? Uh, Liverpool ultimately ended up winning. They left it late, but it ended up winning uh, four, uh, four to three. And, and Leeds, I think, came off of it with an even more enhanced type of, of image. Still early days and just one game, but general thoughts on that game. 
It's just great when something lives up to the hype. We've spent two years talking about how much fun it would be to have Marcelo Bielsa in the Premier League going up against Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola. And here we get it right off the bat in the opening round. And it lives up to the billing because the concept of parking the bus is completely foreign to that man. Uh, he has a certain way of playing against whoever, wherever. And so they were going to go toe to toe with Liverpool and it produced just a thoroughly enjoyable, delightful game. I will say though, to be fair, during the MLS's back tournament, there were some high scoring games that MLS folks were touting as great games. And I said, well, if some of the goals come about due to, uh, some slapstick defending that does detract a little bit uh, for me from the notion that it was a great game. And that applies a little bit here when you go back and look at some of those goals, particularly the, the second leads goal. I mean, Virgil van Dyke. I mean, talk about an uncharacteristic mistake. I don't know what he was thinking on that play, but so there was some of that too. Yeah. Um, look, I can, I can understand and I can sympathize with you when it comes to the fact that there are goals with lots of games or, or games with lots of goals, excuse me, that aren't necessarily good games but they're few and far between. I mean, look, in a sport where, where the hardest thing to do and the rarest thing to do is put the ball in the back of the net, I, I'm not going to throw it back when it, when it happens. And it always, it's rare for me that I see a game with lots of goals where it isn't interesting or entertaining. Now, a blowout game, I, I think it's, it's easier to do it, but this, this wasn't a blowout game by any stretch of the imagination. However, uh, and uh, hear, hear me out on this one, Mossy. So much talk about Bielsa and and he is wonderful. I mean, he's, he's worth the price of admission just for, you know, the, the way that he sits, the way that he acts, uh, you know, just, just the, the optics of it are, are hilarious and wonderful. But he's playing arguably the, the best team in the world, okay? He is the coach of, not arguably, not the best team in the world, okay? This is, this is the ultimate example of house money, okay? In that... And I'm not saying he wouldn't do it in normal circumstances, but oftentimes he seems to feel it, he, when he goes and puts his team on the field, it's as if he's playing with nothing to lose. He had nothing to lose in this game. They were expected to lose to this team by everybody out there, and nobody would have batted an eyelid, <laughs> an eyelid if, if they had lost this team by many, many goals. So in, in a certain way, if you are free from that pressure and that burden, it enables you to kind of just do whatever you want. Now, and it oftentimes enables teams to do things that they wouldn't do normally. That's where the difference is here in that he would do this, he would do this normally. But the sense of freedom that they had, does, don't you think that it comes from the fact that they were playing, uh, they were playing Liverpool? Sure, and a few more games like this against lesser opponents, the narrative will quickly become about how poor they are at defending and how naive they are and how he needs to get that sorted if they're going to stay up in the Premier League. So sure, yeah, I mean, there's... And, and so, so he has much bigger fish to fry here when it comes to, you know, who, who, he, is, you know, who, who he is supposed to try to beat or who, who he is expected to beat as, as they go on. I mean, it's, it's not the Liverpools. You know, it's, you're looking at your Fulhams and your, I don't know, Wolves or Southamptons or whoever ends up being uh, those mid-level to lower-level teams. That's where you're going to get your. Uh, that's where you're going to get get your points, and that's where that romance, like you said, is really going to be tested. Because if it doesn't work out, and it is a team that people assumed that you could beat, that's where it's going to be problematic. But you get what you pay for, and you're paying for that romance. 
I will say this was a game where I really felt the absence of fans. It would have been so wonderful Anfield opening day after having won the title the season before, plus those Leeds away fans excited about being back in the Premier League and cheering their goals. And I do think Leeds are going to be hurt by that this season because it would have been such a special atmosphere at Ellen Road, finally being back in the Premier League first time in 16 years. And that would have been worth a few points. Uh, and they're not going to have that. So, I mean, I, I do think that's an issue for them. Masi, I think a couple of times over the over the uh, the years that we've been doing this, we've talked about Bielsa. But can you just, for our viewers and our listeners out there, make the case as to why he is legit, why it isn't all smoke and mirrors, why he isn't just a fraud, why it isn't just about this romantic notion that ultimately is is fun to watch but isn't necessarily prudent uh and certainly not pragmatic and why 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 does he get the benefit of the doubt that's a well look the thing i admire the most about him is that he's been able to go to different places and implement his philosophy which is why uh you know there's been talk over the years about him perhaps taking over the u.s national team and and listen there's a lot of factors that go into whether you would hire somebody like bielsa or not and if you Perhaps you could weigh all the factors and come down on the side of, of not hiring. But one argument I hear is, well, he wouldn't have the players with the U.S. to implement his philosophy. And that argument doesn't hold any merit to me, because if there's one thing this guy's proven is that he can take over Chile. He can take over Athletic Bilbao. He can take over Olympique Marseille. He can take over Leeds United, which that one you would have thought, I mean, Marcelo Bielsa and the championship and that sort of slog and rumb and tumble kind of nature of that league. And is his style really going to work there? And it, and it has. And so... I admire the fact that he has a philosophy. It's a style of play that I find thoroughly entertaining and that he can go anywhere and implement hold it. On. Because hold on, hold on, hold on. Because I hear people out there saying, so I'm going to ask it. And even <laughs> if they're not saying it, I'm going to ask it. What is that style? I mean, I would say it, it, it's almost the, the the soccer equivalent of like a full court press in basketball. It's just this ultra hyper aggressive pressing style with an idea that when you win the ball back, you can then attack quickly with numbers and, and, and create numerical situations in your advantage. And, and yeah, I, I find it, I find it thoroughly entertaining. And, you know, I've often argued that sure. When you, when you look at uh, Marcelo Bielsa's Wikipedia page, you scroll down to the honor section, the, 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 the amount of trophies there aren't really commensurate with how uh, revered he is. But I do think that there's, there's evidence of him making teams better than, than they were before. I mean, he's, he really set Chile off on this whole path that yep. then ultimately culminated with winning back-to-back uh, Copa America titles, but he got them back into the World Cup for the first time in many years, got them into the knockout stages there. He, I remember when he took over Athletic Bilbao, he got them to a Europa League final, a Copa del Rey final in the same season. He's gotten Leeds United back into the Premier League, won the championship. So there is some evidence of his style working. I will say it's a very physically demanding style. So there is a track record of his teams wearing down over the course of a long season, which has been brought up as a concern here in the Premier League as well. So that would be the one sort of negative of his style. But I do think it can be effective too. I don't just see it as this thing that he does for, you know, for show, but that doesn't, doesn't translate at all into results. I mean, there is some evidence if you look through his resume, if you look hard enough of, of, of it actually paying dividends as well yeah, in I, terms of I, I was just I was just questioning it because it, it presupposes that if you didn't know who was coaching the Leeds team, the other day against Liverpool and you just watched the game that you should be able to say, Oh, well, they're implementing a Bielsa style of, of, of play. And I'm not so sure that that's, that that's the case, but look, he's, he's there. He's making, he's making it interesting and it's only going to get more interesting. I think as they go along. 
one more thing on him. He, he had a funny post-match interview in which he got mad at his translator because he felt like his translator wasn't making, wasn't regurgitating his points forcefully enough, uh, which was a little bit bizarre, but I got such a kick out of it. Uh, but some knucklehead uh, journalist in, in England, his name escapes me, fired off a tweet. He said, you know, if Bielsa is such a genius, how come after two years he still can't speak English? And that led to a cascade of negative reactions, typical English xenophobic attitude. And, you know, uh, and, and we actually, myself, Keith and Warren, last time in the control room, had an interesting conversation about that. Uh, I mean, we mostly agree with the reaction, but is there, a, is there a certain amount of years where then it is fair to criticize somebody uh, if, if, you know, if two, three years from now, he still uh, has to use a translator and, and doesn't feel comfortable giving interviews in English? Or do you, do you reject that criticism in, in, at all? Or do you think there is a I, I don't think it's fair to criticize someone for trying, but I haven't seen him try. So he always has the translator with him. You know, is there a time limit? No, I mean, you know, some people pick it up more than others. I do have a problem. You know, I, I, I talked about this before on the pod. The first thing I did, the first night I was ever in Italy, I was conjugating verbs, okay? One, out of necessity, and two, out of the respect that I thought it conveyed to my team, my teammates, my city, the country that I was a, uh, a guest in. So I have, I have no problem with, with people struggling. I mean, look, I, I, I have a hard time learning. You, you're really good at French. I can't learn French to save my life. I've, I've tried it, it's the, the calculation isn't there. But as long as you're trying, and, and if you just say, no, I'm just not going to do it. And I think, yeah, I mean, I think you're gonna come in for criticism, you know, because you are, once again, you are a guest in the country. And I know there's a lot of languages spoken in England. There's certainly a lot of languages uh, uh, spoken in here. You can, you can get on fine in the U.S. without ever speaking English if that's, if that's the way that you, uh, you want to go. But yeah, I mean, you know, that, that, that tweet or that comment or whatever, that, you know, that was designed to, get the, uh, to make that impact and to have that type of, uh, type of effect out there. But I don't think you should criticize someone for not being where you think they should be along the line of learning the language. But I do think it's, it's fair to expect people that are guests in a country where there is a predominant language to at least try to learn to communicate in that language. I don't think that's, I don't think that's a problem. I don't think that's crazy or anything like that. And in the, in the greater scheme of things, when it comes to Bielsa, it's not going to change the narrative or who he is or his popularity or anything like that. Ultimately, it doesn't matter what language he's speaking. If he's not winning games, then, then there's going to be a, a problem. So we'll see if he continues on. And as I said, this was, it wasn't a throwaway game because he actually comes out smelling like a, like a rose, even though there's plenty of defensive mistakes. There's plenty of naivete, by the way, on both sides. So Liverpool wasn't, wasn't great at all. They were rusty, but they were just so much better that eventually. You mentioned Virgil van Dijk. I, I had talked about how important he is. He ends up scoring in this game. Almost got two, right? Uh, one of them got called, uh, got called back. But, you know, he does make mistakes. But I was talking to our friend Zach Kenworthy, who was, who was a huge, huge Liverpool fan, about this initial game. And we were talking about the fact that the mistake that he made, for example, on, on one of the Leeds goals, that is actually representative of how good he is and how much confidence he has and how important he is. I mean, this is a player that any team in the world would love to have. Is he going to make mistakes? Yes. Has he made mistakes over the years? Yes. But part of what you're paying for and part of his value is his composure, is his confidence in that moment to say, no, I'm not going to just kick the ball out of bounds. No, I'm not just going to try to head the ball back to my goalkeeper or whatever. I'm going to try to flick with the outside of my foot. And, and yeah, he got caught. But 
and if he does that a hundred times, 99.9% of the time, it's not going to, nothing's going to happen, but that's, that's part of his, his quality. Now he can't keep doing that. And collectively as a team, Liverpool can't keep doing that, but you know, Klopp right now, uh, and I know I think you're probably going to uh, talk about this in a second, wasn't necessarily happy about the way that his team played, but he also understands that they got a long season, season ahead. And they got, once again, big, bigger fish to fry with a lot of the money that's being spent and the quality that they have coming at them uh, right now. But I think Klopp, in the back of his mind, is in what he's doing and saying right now, is the recognition that it's next to impossible to do the same thing, okay? It doesn't mean that they're not going to be competing, but just the reality of the competition that they have from these other four or five teams is going to make it very, very difficult for do what, to do what they did uh, last year. And he's almost setting us up and not, not portraying him and his team as the little engine they could because they're still Liverpool, but, you know, he, he is kind of at times playing the victim in the way that he's talking about that. Mossy. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're referring to his comments specifically towards Chelsea. Uh, Klopp came out uh, recently and said, you know, uh, you know, we're, we were affected by this global pandemic and, you know, we're not owned by a country, an oligarch, so right. uh, we can't spend the way some other clubs can. Uh, and he was clearly referencing Chelsea, but then he threw in a comment about, we'll see if they can bet in all these uh, new players. And, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's an argument I made last week that I, I think Chelsea might not be quite as good as everybody thinks because they're going to have trouble betting in these new players and Lampard might get found out. Um, although, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm having second thoughts about that. Uh, they, they're, they open their season. They're, they're away to Brighton today. And I'm, I'm fully expecting like a 5-0 with a Timo Werner hat trick. Right. Uh, just right. to make me look stupid. Well, once again, today's not really the, the judge of what, you know, what's, what's going <laughs> to happen. That, that match, by the way, uh, available on Peacock. Oh, yeah. Has a lot well, of, well, uh, let's, well, well, we'll get to that. And we'll get to that wanna, in a second get, here. We'll get well, to that second. Let me oh, just, by, by the way, uh, I just wanted to mention, uh, speaking of, of, of stories, and I'm sorry to go back to the, uh, uh, to the Leeds game, but Jack Harrison, uh, out of Wake Forest, went to high school in Massachusetts, went by way of Major League Soccer, and then finds himself in the Premier League. It's a wonderful story and an incredible pathway. And he scored a goal. So congratulations to him. And it was, uh, it was fun to see. And it was fun to, to kind of show that there are different pathways out there to the promised land, whatever that promised land ultimately is about. All right, go on ahead, the, Moss. Uh, on the topic of me uh, saying stupid things, uh, <laughs> I, I learned a, a valuable lesson this past weekend. Uh, don't base your predictions on reality television, because as you've uh, told me many times, reality television is not really reality. No. And so I'm sitting there watching this Tottenham documentary, and I talk myself into... Tottenham being better than people think this season. I predicted them <laughs> to finish in the top four, Jose Mourinho. And then they go out and lay an absolute egg in their opener. They lose 1-0 uh, to Everton, who looked very good, I have to say. The new signings, Alain and Ducure, both excellent. James Rodriguez, terrific. Uh, Carlo Ancelotti outfoxing Jose Mourinho. And so some of the Everton optimism might actually be justified. What do you mean he outfoxed him? Tottenham had two or three chances that they could have been up three goals. I mean, come <laughs> on, outfoxed him. It's just, it's the roll of a, roll of a dice. Now, I, I know I'm sounding a little Mourinho-esque there, although he went even further after the game blaming, blaming. Let, me, let me make sure I have all this right. Um, first off, he started off his press conference with, I didn't like my team. Okay. So, all right. So he already doesn't like his team. Then he blamed the referees, which is an evergreen with him. Then he blamed uh, his team being out of shape. Uh, then he blamed COVID. Uh, um, you know, uh, and, and, and then a million other things when it, when it came to it. So look, it's, 
since it's the first game, this is the first time that he's lost his initial or his opening game in a real long time or, or whatever. I can't remember what, what it was, but the fact that they lost, the fact that they lost to Everton, the fact that they lost at home, it's not a good look for, uh, for Jose. Are you, notwithstanding your reality TV bias out there, uh, are, you, are you really worried about Spurs this year? I mean, we, neither of us, did you have them in top? You, de- you definitely didn't have them top four. I didn't definitely didn't have top four. So there, I had them in my top four. That oh, was you my did. hot take. <laughs> oh, was that your big hot take last year? Yeah, you're screwed. Uh, <laughs> they're they're going to be okay. They're going to be okay. They're not going to be great, but they're going to be okay. And I guess for Spurs and for Spurs fans, you're going to have to settle for okay. Okay is good. And I, I will say, I know I can be a broken record on this whole uh, notion of super clubs hoarding players, but as just a, a fan of the game, it is objectively more fun to have James Rodriguez playing week in and week out, even if it is for a club like Everton, rather than sitting on the bench at Real Madrid. So mm-hmm. I was very happy with that move. James is a guy who has fluctuated over the years between being overrated and underrated and Everton were able to catch him during an underrated ebb here because uh, to get a player of that quality he's only 29 on a free transfer and boy he settled right in looked very good showed a lot of class in that game and so I mean he, he, he could be a terrific signing for them. So you are you are bullish then about Everton. Uh, well, I actually downplayed them last week. So I mean, we might need to burn uh, the tapes of last week's pod because I think every every prediction I said is going to be. Well, what did, all right. Well, what did you predict when it came to Arsenal? Did, <laughs> I, I said um, <laughs> I said they're going to be very good against the big six. Arteta has already demonstrated an ability to get results against those clubs, but I wonder if they're going to be able to churn out the points against the rest of the riffraff. And of course, they open the season with a a very confident take care of business three nil win away to Fulham uh the exact type of game that I wondered whether they would they would be you know equipped to win so Fulham fits your definition of riffraff then I want to make sure okay Uh, uh, very strong debuts for the boys from Brazil uh William and Gabriel Magalhães uh so Arsenal could become sort of my adopted team here in the in the in the Premier League with uh this sort of Brazilian influence. I mean, wait till Martinelli gets back. Oh my um, God. But uh, no, so, so far so good for them. They did exactly what you'd expect, like a, a good team to do to go in there and take care of business against Fulham. And they did. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's finish out our, our EPL talk here. You, as you mentioned, we are recording this before Chelsea take the field. Um, unless something very, very strange and crazy happens I would suspect that Chelsea is going to not just win, but win comfortably. Uh, and uh, to, Ch- to, to Mossy's point, you know, who knows, maybe the new arrivals will all share in the spoils with goals coming from all over the place, including, uh, and hopefully uh, Christian Pulisic, who is healthy, knock on wood, um, and uh, wearing that, uh, that number 10. Mossy, he, he was given the number 10 jersey and there was, you know, there is, there is still this symbolism when it comes to the number 10. For the most part, I think numbers have, uh, have faded in significance and symbolism, but the, the 10 still holds a place. It's probably the only number now that really holds that type of place. I'm not talking about using numbers for positions. I'm talking about the, you know, the, the understanding that your best slash most important playmaker, creative attacking type of player uh, will wear that number 10 jersey, which was given uh, to Christian Pulisic. Did you make anything about that, make, uh, make anything more than it actually was or less than it actually was when he was given that? No, I mean, Chelsea are a club. There's not any sort of specific lore around the number 10 jersey at Chelsea, the way there is, say, the number seven at Manchester United. 
Um, so I, I didn't go overboard with it, but as you mentioned, just generally speaking, the number 10 does connote that you're an, a, a very important player on a team. I mean, you rarely see a team where the number 10 is just some, uh, random backup. So yeah, I think it speaks to his, absolutely. There, there is something there. It speaks to his sort of growing influence and, and expected importance this upcoming season. Yeah. Uh, right. now do you want to get into the peacock thing? Because yeah, I do. No, I, I do. Well, I want to finish tweet. it off with that because look, we, we, <laughs> we live and we work in the entertainment industry and in the sports entertainment industry. And we all know that whether it's sports or anything, when it comes to broadcasting, um, entertainment out there, this, uh, you know, the, that's not an innovation, but the streaming platforms out there, uh, is a huge part of the future of our industry. Um, we've talked long about, you know, cord cutters and the antiquated style of cable bundling and all that. And now a much more a la carte type of thing. The irony is that, <laughs> that now we just have a whole lot more individual ones, but all put all together, you are spending as much if, if not more. But that doesn't change the fact that our industry is trying to, uh, to adjust uh, and modify behavior of viewers and is trying to have people migrate to these platforms, these streaming platforms. And everybody's doing it. Uh, everybody is guilty, if that's the word you want to use, because that's the way that it's going. And it's not just the actual sports content that is in play when you're talking about uh, these, uh, these streaming platforms. It's also with a bigger picture and with other content that they hope that you uh, are attracted to. So there's, there's a million different ways. But anyway, all of that is to say is that you, I, you know, I woke up today and this, this weekend, and there were plenty of people out there complaining about the fact that in order to watch uh, Christian Pulisic and or Chelsea uh, today, one needs to sign up uh, for a pay subscription service uh, there is a trial, but but there often there often is. But the reality is that this is a pay subscription service for uh, the type of content that you want. And in this case, it would be uh, through NB through NBC. And everybody is up in arms, and uh, a lot of people, as to be expected, if you are forcing somebody to do something, and there is a cost associated with that, you're going to be uh, you're going to be angry. This is standard business operating procedure. And this is a standard business strategy. Now, keep in mind, uh, and I was talking to someone on Twitter earlier today about the fact that, you know, this is, this is bad business in that you're not exposing something to more people. And there certainly is a, a, a school of thought when it comes to that. But the reality is, is they, they, are, they are looking at this game, for example. There are plenty of people out there that want to watch Chelsea. Lots of Chelsea fans out there. There are plenty of people out there that want to watch Christian, Christian Pulisic. So you have something of value that you are leveraging and you are pushing people towards this platform that you recognize is the future of not just your company, but also of your industry. And they don't have to get everybody to do it. They just have to get a portion. They just have to get a percentage of people to go that justifies this, this, type, of, uh, this type of move. Is it frustrating? Uh, is it angering? Yes, but they are banking on the fact that you want it so bad that you are actually going to do it. And that's how you modify any type of, uh, type of behavior. Now, you might say, I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm, no way, I'm not doing it, which is fine. And they have banked all of that in. You might say, I'm going to create hundreds of email accounts and, I, and I'm just going to you know, uh, cycle through email accounts and get it that way. They've, they've baked that into their, uh, into, their analysis, uh, into their analysis too. This is 
This is the way of the future, okay? Uh, it's just a different way of paying for something because we're all paying for something uh, when it comes to your satellite or your cable or your more traditional types of, uh, uh, types of things out there. And we all know that this generation is moving away from that and we are all moving away from that. And this is just a way to force people to do it. And as I said, I know it's, I know it's frustrating for people. And you know, ultimately they're gonna figure it out because there will be a number that comes out of it that will have justified it or not justified uh, this move. Mossy, thoughts on this? No, I hear you, but you know, I see the other side. And Grant Wall has been a vocal critic of of all this this paywall stuff, and he feels like it's going to hurt the the growth of the game at a time when we're still trying to grow sure. the game in this country. And you do you do lose that element of people stumbling upon a game, flipping around, and and you know you sort of have to know now exactly when a game is starting, where it is, and go through extra steps to to be able to watch it, and even have to fork over some extra money. So th there is that argument Look, that you're a hundred percent, and and making it easier for people either to come into the tent or even to see the tent is something that we talk about a lot, and that soccer is, is very very important. But let me ask you something, Mossy. How many people are wake? How many Americans? Because we're talking about this in an, an American context. Uh, how many Americans or people living in the United States are waking up this morning? And, and saying, ah, I wonder where I'm gonna find my soccer content, okay? The reality is that this is, this is being focused on the, not just the soccer community out there, but the EPL community out there. And just try, as I said, just trying to get a portion of those people to pay that money and sign up, uh, sign up for that service. I, I, don't, I don't think that there are people just channel surfing, flicking along that are going to somehow happen upon in this case, it would be either NBC or one of their other channels or NBCSN or whatever it ends up being and, and stop and, and, and see that. I just, I think the numbers are minuscule when it comes to something like that. So yes, I, I get the argument that having it available to the most possible people that could possibly stop on that channel, I, I understand that argument, but I think they've come to the realization that in, 20, in 2020 right now, there's, there's just, there's not enough people where that actually is happening to, to justify not trying to steer the people that are your real hardcore customers that are going to, that are going to pay, that want that, con that, that content, that are already invested, either because they have an affinity for either just the actual sport or the actual team that's involved or the leagues or the league that is involved. That's, now, that's a ripe type of customer and much more easily persuaded than just blanketing it out there. And so I think that's, I think that's where the strategy is. And you know, who knows, they might, they, they might change it up and they might say, you know what, that, that didn't work and that's not something that we are going to do. But it is, it is harder, I guess, I mean, that's not, probably not even a fair word because it's really not that hard to sign up for a service and get it. But it is harder today than it was a month uh, or a year ago to find and get the soccer <laughs> on your television, um, as I said, than it, than, it, than it was before. But keep this in mind, we still in the United States are spoiled when it comes to the amount of soccer that we have, the platforms that we have to access that, uh, that type of soccer. And still when people come overseas, to the United States, they are amazed and actually very, very jealous at the amount of leagues and teams and soccer that, uh, that we are exposed to and we have at our disposal. 
Anything else, Mossy? Uh, last thing on this. Do we think uh, Chelsea superfan Alex Dowd will be watching the game today on Peacock, or has he discovered some nefarious illegal stream? We know the random circles he travels in on the internet. He, he might have stumbled upon something that... Yeah, I, I, I've heard the whole thing about you're just forcing people to, to get illegal streams. And is that... I mean, I, that's, that is a reality. Uh, and, I'm, and don't do that if you're doing that. Uh, we are we are telling you right now that it's illegal, and so, and so so don't do that. But I don't think that's a reason uh, not to do it. When it comes to Alex Dowd, I think he's completely on the up and up. I think he has paid his money. He paid his money immediately uh, and willingly, uh, and uh, with an incredible excitement. And I even think he probably looks at it as an honor to be able to watch the team that the, the team that he loves. And by the way. I bet you it has nothing to do necessarily with Christian Pulisic. That's just an added bonus. I think he would have done it, uh, done it no matter what. That's how much of a Chelsea fan uh, he is. We'll see if he and all of his Chelsea fans are, uh, are smiling. And you know what? All the uh, Christian Pulisic fans, because there are people that are watching Chelsea that don't necessarily like or care about Chelsea, but they do care about, uh, about Christian Pulisic. There will be less of them because of the hoops that people are being asked to jump through right now. But you know, this is this is business, and these uh, you know these these networks they pay, they pay a lot of money in broadcast rights, and they got to make it back somehow. And that they are not making it back in the traditional way means they have to make it either in an untraditional way, or they have you know they have to be able to adapt uh, and adopt to a new way and a new platform. Uh, and this is the future. And either either join or get out of the way, I guess. All right, Moss, anything else? That's it. All right, we're going to take a uh, quick break here. And then when we come back, we'll be uh, diving into all the MLS action that has been happening over the last week. So uh, don't go away. Moving on. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. All right, uh, welcome back. Let's uh, dive right into it, Mossy. Uh, MLS. It continues to roll along all sorts of action uh, out there. You can uh, watch it in a bunch of different ways, whether it's with your uh, subscription-based type of viewing or uh, a more traditional way. And uh, oftentimes you can see myself and my, uh, my colleagues screaming and yelling on FS1 and 
big fox uh, out there when we're talking about the MLS. All right, Mossy, um, all sorts of stuff happening when it comes uh, to Major League uh, to Major League Soccer. Uh, both both good and bad, but all kind of good in terms of uh, what we are talking about. Uh, the Los Angeles Galaxy, a, uh, a team that has been a perennial type of favorite and certainly a super club over the 25-year history of Major League Soccer, uh, started out 2020 uh, horribly. They were, they were a, a mediocre and at times bad team. They have since turned it around. Uh, they continue to... Uh, uh, to roll on, being undefeated. They won four, four of the last five. Uh, they are cruising. They look like a completely different team. Now, Mossy, you taught me something a long time ago. You taught me about um, being Wally Pipped. Explain to the people out there what that means before I head off into uh, the uh, Los Angeles Galaxy discussion. Uh, Wally Pipp was the starting first baseman for the New York Yankees. And... Uh, one day, uh, I guess he, he had a headache and he asked to sit out. And so a little known backup named Lou Gehrig stepped in, uh, played well. Uh, and so the manager decided to keep Lou Gehrig in the lineup the next day. And Lou Gehrig proceeded to play uh, over 2000 consecutive games over 14 years. The iron horse that was the longest consecutive game streak in baseball until Cal Ripken broke it many years later. But so it's uh, entered the lexicon. If you have a job and you decide to sit out and somebody else steps in and takes your job from you, uh, it, that's now called getting Wally pipped. Okay. Um, so Chicharito, right? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, when, when last we saw Chicharito, uh, he was playing for that Galaxy team that I was describing that was, that was not just mediocre, but at times bad. And they were struggling. He got hurt and went out. Uh, uh, the Los Angeles Galaxy finished off their bubble down in Orlando and then completely turned it around, I said. And they completely turned it around without Chicharito. Is Chicharito's now back... Uh, although not starting, uh, we are recording this on a Sunday. Last night they tied zero zero with uh, with San Jose up in uh, in San Jose, and Chicharito, if I'm not mistaken, he got in uh, a little bit into the game. But uh, did he? Uh, I'm not, hold on a second. Yeah, he did. Yes. He came on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, They brought on him and Jonathan Dos Santos. That's the right. Two Mexican DPs. Both That's right. That's right. Would you start Chicharito right now if you were uh, Guillermo Barsquiloto? It's an interesting one. Uh, you know, listen, they've, they've been playing well. They've been winning. I don't know that Ethan Zubak has been like How dare fighting. You? How dare you? How dare you? If you're not going to say anything positive about Ethan Zubak, then I, no, I will just no. stop he's, the pod right he's now. He's done a job. He's, he's done fine. But you know what I'm saying? It's not yes. like you're taking it out of the lineup that's scoring hat yeah. tricks. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I would, I think there's a greater upside with Chicharito. So I would try to sort of work him back into the mix here but it, yeah you're right it's going to be interesting to see they've been playing well without him it's going to be interesting to see how they, it's they, hard man you don't you don't mess with a streak and you know <laughs> if, the, if the if the team is is functioning and you start changing it especially with especially with that type of player who, who is so specific in the way that he plays and it's great when, when it's happening it's it's world class and it's wonderful but it requires adjustments from around and one of the things that in this period that Guillermo Barsquilota and the Los Angeles Galaxy did is they stopped just kind of hitting constant crosses and at times very hopeful uh, and at, at other times hopeless type of crosses. And they became much more strategic and efficient um, and selective about how they went about their, uh, their wing play. 
And, you know, we know that Chicharito kind of feeds on the ball in the box and feeds on crosses. And we'll see if he comes back, if that, uh, if that changes. All of this is, it's a good problem to have, but it's also a delicate and sensitive type of problem to have because this is arguably the most famous player in, uh, in Major League Soccer who was brought in uh, with much fanfare and paid a whole lot of money. Now, that you're really cooking with steam if you can find a way to integrate him back in and not miss a beat. And that's ultimately what Guillermo Barsquiloto's job is, to figure it out. And if it isn't, if, if they need to cut bait and, figure, and, and this is just not happening, once again, 2020. And this gets to a, uh, to a point in general about what's going on in, in Major League Soccer. If... Uh, and I think we talked a little bit about this last week, but if you are going to do something that is going to invite criticism, if you are going to fail, or if you are going to regress, have it be done in 2020. If you come to the realization that Chicharito was just a bad signing and not for your club, and I'm not saying they have, but if that even is something that they're contemplating, you figure out a way to change it in 2020. Take the hit, take the... the uh, you know, the PR hit that you were going to get, take all of the criticism and the, uh, the, the arrows that will, be, that, will, that will come your way, not surprisingly, and then deal with it. Because everything in 2020 is going to, as we said so many times, have that caveat uh, and have that, uh, have that asterisk, which goes to, you know, my point about Atlanta United. And, you know, somebody had asked me uh, the other day on Twitter about Atlanta United. And I was very, very clear that, this, uh, this version in 2020 of Atlanta United, you know, gone is the, you know, the super club, the great super club that was Atlanta United in its first three years of existence, okay? Uh, this is a shell of that. Doesn't mean they're not still a super club, and it doesn't mean the greatness can't return. But if there was a time and a place and a year for them to suck and to you know completely change up with the amount of players that have uh, that have gone from that previous successful run if there was a time to sell a designated player like they did with Pitti and maybe two with Barco this is that time because i think you will you will be given the benefit of the doubt and the same applies uh, to the Los Angeles Galaxy and let's be honest to to uh, to most teams uh, out there uh, as we are as we are recording this uh, we come off of a weekend where Atlanta United, speaking of Atlanta United, uh, lost again, but, but credit to, uh, to Nashville. They not only created the opportunities, which they have done uh, over the course of their existence this year, but more importantly, they, they finished them. And it's not just that they beat uh, Atlanta United 4-2, to two, it's how they beat them. And we'll see if this bodes well for their future. They got to go to, uh, they gotta go to, uh, to Columbus next. So that will be a big, big test. Mossy. Let's talk Iguain, okay, because uh, the man has landed in South Florida down there in Miami to uh, bolster a anemic type of uh, attack when it comes to uh, Inter-Miami and a team that is in desperate need of upgrades. Is this an actual upgrade or not? Yes, uh, I know there's some feeling out there that perhaps they should have used that last DP spot on a playmaker, that that's their biggest need um, it, rather than a, a number nine. So uh, yeah, I mean, you could definitely make a case for that, but I, but I think Iguain will definitely play well, will definitely score goals. I think he still has something left in the tank 
And so from a footballing perspective, this is a, a very good move. I know they're giving him a big contract. It's going to be the highest paid player in MLS reportedly. So, but I, I think he'll live up to that and he'll score a lot of goals. Uh, I don't always love analyzing moves through this lens, but I think it's unavoidable because it's David Beckham. Um, uh, putting aside the footballing considerations, just in a sort of, from a star power standpoint, does Iguain quote unquote, move the needle for you? And just in general, this first iteration of Inter-Miami, it looks like the three DPs are going to end up being Gonzalo Iguain, Rodolfo Pizarro, and Matias Pellegrini with Blaise Matuidi also signed with a non-DP spot. So are you underwhelmed by that overwhelmed properly whelmed do you think that so far Beckham it has sort of it sort of lived up to the billing his ability to sort of bring uh, big names into the fold I am I am more whelmed than I was before because I think that Higuain is a is a bigger name I'm much more concerned with the type of player that he is um and that's 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 what's giving me pause here I, I, he, you know, he is a wonderful goal scorer and has proved to be, to be one over the years, but on a team like Inter that is always going to be, for the most part, when they're stepping on the field, coming up against inf- uh, superior opposition. So they are going to be the underdogs and the inferior team. I, I worry, I worry, I worry that he's not going to produce relative to the name that he is um, simply because, you know, he's never been a dominating physical player. Okay. He's never been a larger than life character, um, but he has been a goal scorer, albeit for some of the best teams in the world. And, you know, when, when Zlatan came, yes, he was also, a goal scorer for some of the best teams in the world, but you got the feeling that he could do things all by himself. And it didn't matter where he was or who he was playing for. He would find a way to be uh, successful. I don't, I don't get that feeling about, about Iguain. I'm excited. I, I actually, having seen everybody play now, I'm much more bullish um, and impressed with Pizarro. Uh, out of out of all of them, I I I think he's I think he is a player that is built for Major League Soccer in the way that he plays, the style, his mentality, his, for lack of a better word, his his ruggedness. Um, I, I I just am, I, I like the way he plays. I would and I said before I would want him uh, on my team, but I don't know. It's it still hasn't lived up to the hype with uh, with 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 Inter. I guess is uh, I guess is what I'm saying. You? Uh, a couple of other miscellaneous MLS things. Uh, LAFC got some of their swagger back, uh, 4-2 win over Portland. Now, they still conceded twice, so all is not well at that end. But uh, Bob yeah, and, it was th- and it was 3-2 to two almost to the end there, and, and right. Portland was coming on, so they, sure. they got out of dodge there. Uh, but still, uh, Bob Bradley's never it. made any bones about the fact that uh, he knows the style of play. There are some vulnerabilities defensively, but he's banking on the fact that they're going to be able to outscore you, and they did that against Portland, 4-2 win. And to bring it back full circle to the Galaxy game, but to the other team involved, so it was nil-nil against San Jose, which uh, San Jose will gladly take a clean sheet given what they did in their previous game a 7-1 defeat to uh, Seattle, uh, San Jose languishing near the bottom of the standings, which has raised all sorts of questions about Matias Almeida. And again, this larger uh, <laughs> narrative that I, I know some people feel has played out, this notion of, of these of foreign managers with these impressive resumes 
but whether it translates to MLS and whether they can adapt here. Uh, what do you make of the whole Matias Almeida situation where he's at right now? Look, you know, I, I, we talked a lot about the Bielsa and the, the, the romance of this. And I, I was talking to someone the other day about, I guess, some of the similarities of, of what Matias Almeida wants to do. Now, it's, it's easier and almost much more expected and, I, and in a certain way, maybe more welcome to be able to live that type of romantic idealism uh, through a coach and have it manifested in a coach. If you are in a league like, like uh, major league soccer, where there's no fear of uh, of relegation. And so, and as I said before, I can respect uh, and applaud those, those that do it. Um, but I don't know if he's just crazy or crazy like a Fox. Now, last night, the zero zero, they didn't let any goals, so they kind of shored that defensive part of it up. But isn't that kind of isn't that kind of exactly what the what the problem is? Is this inconsistency in that you need everything to go perfectly right to have it to have it function? And that's those those margins are so 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 small. Um, I mean, the bigger question is. Anytime you think about changing a coach, do you have somebody that can do a better job? Are there coaches out there with the talent that San Jose has that could do, could come right in now, no changes, no additions, uh, and with the exact same team could do a better job? And I think, I think the answer for a lot of people out there is yes, to be quite honest with you. It's not always that case when a coach is doing bad. Often you say, you know what, this person is just doing the best they possibly can with what they have. I think that there are others that could possibly come in and now it might not be as romantic and it might not be as interesting or creative or to some people even as beautiful, but it might be more effective. So I guess you gotta, you gotta figure out what it is you actually want. Obviously you want both of them, but if you can, if you can only get one, do you just want a successful team or do you want somebody that's actually doing something completely unique, completely different to some completely crazy, but, to everybody, at least it's worth your time uh, and interest. Matias Almeida, for me, has made San Jose relevant, <laughs> has made me actually care about what they are doing. And, and you know, maybe there's a value to that, maybe there isn't. Now, that, it, that at, time, at times I care about it because it could, complete, it could be a complete disaster or, and, and complete chaos that, that sometimes and oftentimes is very entertaining, that's fine. But, you know, all, you know I, I know I'm, I'm rambling on uh, relative to your question right there, but I'm not sure this is sustainable uh, if, it, if, it keeps up, uh, if it keeps up like this. Now, we are doing San Jose, uh, when I say we, Fox, on, uh, on Wednesday. Am I, am I right, Mossy? Correct, against Portland. Against Portland. So uh, it's going to be interesting to talk with the San Jose folks and kind of find out behind the scenes what it is exactly uh, that is going on, if it is heading in the direction that they want, and then ultimately how it plays out on the field against the Portland team. As you mentioned, they lost to LAFC. And, uh, you know, speaking of losses, Blanco is out and uh, with his knee. And it's just a horrible loss for the league and for the team and really fundamentally changes the way that, uh, that Portland plays. And they're going to have to, uh, uh, have to adapt. Uh, anything else MLS-related, uh, Mossy? That's it. Um, okay, uh, huge schedule uh, on the uh, when it comes to MLS, both midweek and uh, weekend games that we will be following, and uh, we'll see how this shapes up. As we mentioned last week, the next phase of of games has out there. 
Uh, it's a very small type of phase in the next three games, um, but through September, we at least know what's, uh, what's going on, which does uh, include the return, at least to, uh, to the U.S. Uh, of the Canadian teams. So we'll see all that goes, and we'll talk more about that uh, again uh, next week. All right, moving on. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. All right, we're back with uh, Ask Alexi. Use that hashtag Ask Alexi out, out there on all the, uh, the, the platforms. And uh, we pick a few each week and we read off your comments, questions, and uh, complaints even. Uh, what do we got this week, Mossy? Uh, first up, at Rob LFC 91 outside of Messi and Ronaldo, is Neymar the most talented player over the last decade? Oh, my goodness. All right, well, <laughs> all right. To answer your question, uh, outside of uh, – there's a lot of good players. Yeah, I would think so. I, I, I can make that argument. Um, but I guess, well, would you agree first, Bossy, before we use this as a jumping off point? Because the Neymar story this week has taken on new meaning. Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to go down the Neymar vortex of arguing the merits of his career and whether he's lived up to that talent. But frame, the question framed the way it is, uh, is he the most third most talented? Yes, I would definitely I mean, Look at is there is there a team in the world that wouldn't want Neymar? I don't I don't I don't think there is. I mean, and, and I'm not saying he doesn't come with baggage. Uh, speaking of baggage, Masi, let's talk a little bit about uh, what happened with uh, Neymar and company this uh, this weekend over there in France. So he's had a very eventful last couple of weeks. So just to get everybody caught up on the story, uh, PSG uh, originally were scheduled to play their first league on match. Uh, just a few days after the uh, Champions League final against Bayern. And Thomas Tuchel was fine with that. Uh, he felt like they had had all those months off before. And so as soon as we uh, get back from Lisbon, let's get straight to work again. Uh, Leonardo overruled him. He felt like it was weird. They'd been in this bubble in Lisbon for three weeks, played in the Champions League final. And, and to, to turn around a few days later and have to play a Ligue 1 match. Uh, so he pressured Ligue 1 to postponing. Uh, PSG's first game and, and gave the players a few days off so they could decompress. Of course, a bunch of them went down to Ibiza and course, came back of course. with uh, the uh, coronavirus, including Neymar and Di Maria. And meanwhile, Mbappe went off to play with France in the Nations League and he contracted uh, the coronavirus. So um, so when the, that opening league on game against Lens finally came around, they had to play this patchwork lineup, including a couple of guys I've never heard of. And they ended up losing one nil on a mistake by their third string goalkeeper, but okay, crazy circumstances and nobody read too much into that. So then their second game is home against their, this past week and home against their arch rivals, Marseille and Leonardo, by the way, has criticized league on for scheduling such a big game early in the season. But nevertheless, they had to play Marseille and Tuchel didn't want to lose. And so he rushed back some of the uh, Corona uh, cases. Uh, Neymar and Di Maria, you know, they had to spend X amount of days in quarantine. And that period ran out a day or two before this game. They trained like once. And Tuchel said, that's enough. You're going straight into the lineup. And so at least on paper, the lineup they put out this weekend was, was more representative. But still, it's a team that's clearly not really back into the swing of things yet. They lost 1-0 uh, at home to Marseille. 
so, uh, so you know, first of all, PSG, who you know, they, they yeah, although they lost the Champions League final, they they came out of last season feeling pretty good about themselves. The fact that they got to the Champions League final and were hoping to build on that, and they've now had a very awkward transition here into the start of this new season. Lost both games, uh, and they're sitting 18th in the table. Um, but to add insult to injury, a bench-clearing brawl erupted at the end of this game, and there were five red cards, including Neymar. Uh, Neymar then accused a Marseille defender, Alvaro Gonzalez, of racially abusing him. Alvaro Gonzalez has denied it. Neymar has doubled down on the accusation, so it's turned into a, a you know, sort of uh, my word against his word kind of deal. Uh, but, you know, they're likely suspensions forthcoming because of this uh, this brawl. And in the midst of all this, uh, there are now widespread reports that Kylian Mbappe has informed PSG that this is definitely his last season. He wants to leave in the summer of 21. So PSG <laughs> dealing with a lot here uh, just in the span of a few days oh here. Oh, my it's goodness. Amazing. They, they wish they were back in Lisbon in more simpler times. I mean, it's, it's yeah, been a crazy yeah. couple of weeks. And it, and, and it was nuts. I mean, you can you can find it uh, the, the footage over there on uh, on, uh, on YouTube and everything. And it, it, it was crazy. And, you know, you, you can't touch other players. And when you do that and, you know, Neymar, Neymar doubling down, do you think any of that craziness happens if, if PSG is winning the game? No, probably not. I mean, that yeah. was frust- a lot of frustration on their part. I mean, not for nothing, but PSG is now 0 and 2 in, in Liga, which we all kind of give to them each year anyway. I will say the one the one positive of this whole thing, not the racial stuff. I mean, I don't I don't know what sure. happened there, but obviously let's set that aside. If it did, that's that's reprehensible and it shouldn't happen. But the one positive of this whole thing from a French football perspective is as PSG has grown into this monolith in the last decade and towers over everybody else in France, one thing that's been lost is any sort of juice in that PSG Marseille rivalry. I mean, that is Le Classique. That is their equivalent of uh, Real Madrid, Barcelona. And when that fixture rolls around, the French media still tries to play it up. And the last few years, it's felt really forced. I, I hate to say it, it's felt a little Ohio State, Michigan ish of, of, you know, two teams that aren't really in boxing in the same class anymore that you're still trying to make a big rivalry out of. And in fact, Marseille hadn't beaten them in nine years. And uh, lately, you do, do feel like this rivalry is coming back a little bit. Uh, Marseille had a good season last season. They finished second under uh, André Villas-Boas to qualify for the Champions League. And then they celebrated quite a bit when PSG lost the Champions League final. Because remember, Marseille remained the only French club to win the European Cup. They won the inaugural edition of the Champions League in 1993 after the competition was rebranded. They beat AC Milan in the final. And they like holding that over PSG. And they really got under PSG's skin by how much they celebrated PSG's defeat to Bayern. You talk about Schadenfreude. I mean, that was it right there. And and so there was some juice even heading into this game because of that. And then you get this brawl and red cards and the Tuchel and AVB were throwing barbs at each other after the game. So if nothing else, the PSG Marseille rivalry is kind of back. Now, I, I, I don't expect Marseille to challenge him in Ligue 1. Like you said, I, I still think push comes to shove PSG are going to win the league rather easily. So maybe that'll uh, undercut what I'm saying. But at least for the time being, it does feel like at least French football, there's some there's some juice there between these two clubs. And, the, and certainly the next time they play, it's going to be like appointment TV for me. I'm going to be excited for that game. Yeah, I mean, that's it's creating in, in a, <laughs> I guess, in a WWE type of way, uh, excitement and making it uh, something that people are more interested than they would uh, than they would be. We'll see, you know, the repercussions. Obviously, there was red cards. So PSG is going to be down players uh, yet again going uh, going forward. But I, you know, I too, like you, don't see them ultimately having uh, having a problem. 
but you know the the horizon part of a changing of the guard if you will when it comes to mbappe and and probably others i think is important because you know psg has fashioned themselves over the last many years as being you know trying to challenge and they well they got to the the promised land but they didn't ultimately get that that prize but there is still a burning desire to be that be one of those super clubs in the world and so you're going to have to find a way to uh to replenish and if mbappe moves on i mean that's a that's a that's a big loss that is i mean i don't think it should be necessarily be a surprise that 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 he wanted to and will do and that was kind of always the plan but we'll see if psg can reload and they are obviously and should be thinking about it right now even though it's a uh, it's a year off all right what else Mossy? Uh, next up, at Charleston Tommy, is De La Fuente the real deal? Ah, yes. So Conrad De La Fuente, the uh, 19-year-old, I guess we can call him American phenom, uh, for, for a number of reasons, not the least of which is that he uh, has grown up uh, in the Barcelona system, and now we are actually seeing him play for the first team. He got his first minutes in their preseason uh, uh, game uh, over the last uh, few days. Um, he, for the last couple of years, has played for Barcelona B. Uh, and the, the prevailing wisdom, even though he, we saw him step on the field for the, uh, the first team, is that he will continue. Uh, he's 19 years old, like I said. He will continue with, uh, with Barcelona B. He arrived at Barcelona when he was like uh, 10 years old. Um, and why are we talking about this player? Well, uh, because he's American and he has also played for American uh, youth national teams. And in the context of, of what we were talking about last week, where the next time that Greg Berhalter gets together, theoretically, he could have players on the books with, you know, as we said before, Juventus, Man City, Chelsea, Dortmund, Leipzig, uh, and even potentially Barcelona with Conrad de la Fuente, this is wonderful because this is an American player and a player who can play for the U.S. men's national team, who is not just at, but playing at one of the great clubs in the world. Does that mean that he is going to step on the field with the U.S. men's national team and be the best thing that we've ever seen or lead the U.S. men's national team to places it's never been? Not necessarily, but once again, you're hedging your bets. Now, as I said before, um, I, I don't think that we are going to see him. He's playing, you know, he plays, he's a wing type of player. You know, when you, got, when you talk about Fatih and, and Dembele and, and others that are, that are out there, I don't think that he's going to you know, take their place anytime soon. But, you know, he's in the mix. Um, I, I, if I had to put money on it, he plays another year with Barcelona B and then it's either it, it, it either he's good enough where he is actually challenging on a consistent basis um, or they 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 send him out and they're sending out a great player but it's just not quite at that level yet what do you think I mean it's hard because we've only seen a little bit of him um, from a Barcelona perspective and he's been playing for Barcelona B and I don't know about you, but I don't watch a whole lot of Barcelona B on a continual basis. Uh, but we did see him step on the field and it was a, a wonderful moment, a proud moment to see an American player out there with what we all associate with not just the elite, but the ultra elite type of club that Barcelona is. Remember after the season, Barcelona uh, might be looking to replace one of their top attacking players. Oh, uh, and just to advance on. that story a little bit. So uh, they played a friendly this past weekend against 
uh, Gymnastic, a third-tier Spanish club, and Messi started, played the first 45 minutes, uh, and then uh, Conrad de la Fuente came on at halftime, played the second 45 minutes, looked good, had a goal that was uh, uh, ruled out. Uh, but yeah, no, they, they seem high on him. He, they, they, he just signed a new contract recently. He was on the bench for a Champions League game against Napoli uh, this past season. He seems to be in that Chris Richards Bayern zone of somebody that's kind of just on the outskirts of the first team squad, a little bit just on the outside looking in, but yeah. with the possibility perhaps of cup of games, maybe here or there, or yeah. just, you know, a, um, a call up just for the experience to sit on the bench, that kind of stuff. And yeah. So, so yeah, definitely want to keep an eye on very exciting uh, on that young Americans uh, theme. Juventus played a friendly uh, against a, a third tier Italian side, Novara, Wesson McKinney, uh, I didn't watch it, but by all accounts played well. I read an article in the Gazeta della Sport full of praise and said he brings qualities that no other midfielder in the roster has, which could potentially help get him into the starting lineup. So, I mean, all positive there. So far, so good with McKinney. Yeah, I watched the, I watched the highlights of that, uh, of that friendly. And it was, and, and I know they're highlights and everything, but it was exactly what we talked about. He's winning tackles, winning the ball. And then at times, literally just playing two and three yard passes. Now, he wasn't, he was also involved creatively in doing some different things. And, you know, uh, Cristiano's running around out there. And so he's in, he's in rarefied air there. But he was obviously asked to do one thing. And that is, you know, be that terrier and run around and win the ball and then give it to, and give it to others. And he did that and he did, and he did more. So that, that's positive. Uh, hopefully that continues. Yeah, when Juventus got to the Champions League final uh, in 2015 and lost to Barcelona, uh, Pirlo was part of that midfield. It also included Arturo Vidal. And there's a lot of talk that Pirlo envisions McKinney as kind of the Arturo Vidal. You know, they have a lot of elegant technical players, the, the Arturs and Adrian Rabio, but you need that bulldog, that energy guy to win the ball back. And so that's a role that McKinney could potentially carve out there. One other young American I want to mention. I've been dying to mention this guy on the podcast. I've, I've Here we go. The last couple of weeks. Here we go. Uh, does the name Johnny Cardozo mean anything to you? No. Uh, he is an 18-year-old American midfielder, New Jersey native, Born to Brazilian parents, uh, oh, what a surprise! What at a, a young surprise. age, and he is now starting games for Brazilian league leaders Internacional and and getting loads of praise in the Brazilian media. And Greg Berhalter is is a big fan of this kid. He recommended him to Jason Kreiss. He's already gotten calls for the U23s, and all the talk is he's going to be with the senior team soon. Berhalter is that high on him, uh, so that's another one to keep an eye on. We think you know only in terms of Europe, but there's a young American doing well in Brazil too. Uh, love it. I love it. I love it. And, you know, Greg Berhalter, someone asked me what, what uh, Brian McBride, the GM of the U.S. men's national team, and I guess by extension, uh, Ernie Stewart, who's the uh, sporting director for all of uh, the U.S. soccer national teams, what their job is right now. Like, you know, what are they doing? Because obviously the U.S. women, the U.S. men, all of the youth teams, nobody's playing games. And who knows for this, for this, uh, the foreseeable future. And, uh, there are best laid plans, as we talked about when it comes to CONCACAF, but we don't know if we're going to live up to those. And uh, I was actually on the, uh, the board of directors, United States Soccer Federation call this week, and they put out what the plan is for both the U.S. men's national team and the U.S. women's national team, and both Kate Margraff from uh, the U.S. women's national team perspective and Brian McBride from the men's national team perspective. Uh, gave a little talks and explained it, but there's not a whole lot they can tell everybody. And on paper, these are the dates that are ultimately uh, ultimately happening. Happening, but 
there is plenty of work to be done, especially behind the scenes, and it's keeping up and keeping tabs with the players that you have, either ones that you have already recognized and are on your radar, or finding new ones um, that are down there. And obviously, this is not necessarily a new player for, for Greg Berhalter, but it is a possible new player in terms of the general consciousness of, of U.S. soccer uh, folks uh, uh, out there. But whether it's, whether it's Brian McBride or anybody in the comparable type of position out there, there's, there's plenty of work to be done. And some of the work um, and the groundwork that you lay in this type of environment right now can pay dividends when we transition into a much more normal type of situation where you do have games. And so the process of evaluating, the process of communicating, um, and then ultimately the process of deciding what that best group of players, because this is all fine and well to talk about on paper, all of these players who are playing at some of these great clubs. That's, that's great. But Greg Berhalter's job, as we've said time and time again, isn't just to get the, the, the best players, it's to get the best collection of players. And that oftentimes will, hedging your bets, include a lot of these players that are playing on some of these great teams, but it might be some others and some ones that we haven't heard of. And those might be the players that ultimately pull this, uh, pull this team together. But all of that work is being done, uh, done behind the scenes. We don't have any new or additional information when it comes to the qualifying process for the men's national team, which is something we talk about on this pod, uh, pod a lot, um, other than to say that you know, the plan is that from a U.S. men's national team perspective, not until after next summer will we potentially, uh, will we, we potentially see anything. And from a women's uh, national team perspective, for the next you know, three quarters of a year leading up to what hopefully is going to be the Olympics in uh, Japan, which the women have already qualified for. Um, there are games and there is a set type of friendly and the She Believes Cup and all that, but all of that is on paper and we don't know if those are actually going to happen, but you got to plan as if they are going to happen. Uh, all right, Mossy, anything else? And we'll end on this. At Christian A. Craig, uh, thoughts on the exodus of U.S. women's national team stars to Europe and what that says about the NWSL. So I think we've, you know, we've been following this, and, and rightfully so, because there are those that say that this should be concerning. There are those that say that this is, this is red flags and uh, sirens going off about the exodus of talent from uh, the NWSL. And, and I said before that this is very much related to the times that we are in. Um, the NWSL, we all know they came back in that bubble in, uh, in Utah, which was successful, but was finite and very, very small. They originally had no plans to continue. Now they've decided to continue a little bit. But the reality is that whether you're, you know, it doesn't matter who you are and it doesn't matter uh, where you're playing, you got to be playing and you have to have games. And from a U.S. Federation's perspective, you want your potential national team players playing. And the fact was uh, and is that they need to get games and they weren't getting games. So I think a lot of this is relative to the fact that leagues in Europe are playing. They can get more games. Uh, they can go to places that are much further along when it comes to dealing with uh, the, uh, the, the, the pandemic than we, are, than we are. And therefore, it's easier for them to come in and just hit the ground running. But I also think that there is a recognition that most, if not all of these players, uh, and some very high profile players that we have seen, whether it's you know, the recent signing uh, of Alex Morgan to Spurs or, or uh, uh, 
uh, Rose Lavelle uh, or Sam Mewis or, or uh, so many others that have, uh, Tobin Heath and others that, uh, that have gone over there. I mean, these are some high profile type of players and players that are going to make up that core of the women's national team going forward and certainly into, uh, into next summer. That's a good thing. It's a good thing that they are playing and getting a, a different and interesting experience. As I said before, I think they're going to become better as players and become better as people for having gone through it. But I believe that they're going to come back. And it's not that the NWSL can just sit on their laurels and just say, we're great and nothing's going to change that because it can change. And people are coming and there's going to be competition out there, especially as some of these big clubs get into the women's uh, soccer uh, landscape uh, and much more so than they have, uh, they have in the past. But um, you know, thoughts on the exodus, it, it, it is a, it's, it can be perceived as an ex- exodus given the high profile type of players that are doing it, but I believe that they will come back and it will provide opportunities for either talent that you didn't know existed in the uh, NWSL or the recognition that there is a lot of talent out there and it still is one uh, of the most exciting and entertaining leagues out there. And I mean, the best is relative, but that I would say is still the best league, uh, women's uh, league in the world right now. And the reflection is in that talent that they have, even with this quote unquote exodus uh, that we uh, that we have. But it's going to be okay. Let not your uh, heart be troubled when it comes to uh, what's happening with uh, NWSL. But that's not all that is, is not to say that NWSL doesn't have challenges. Um, but those are continuing type of challenges that they had before. And this isn't changing the fact that from a business perspective, uh, they're going to have challenges um, uh, going forward as all leagues have when it comes to the, uh, the wild West that often is professional soccer. Mossy, anything uh, before we head out? That's it. All right. We've come to the end of uh, yet another pod. And at the end of each pod, I give you my uh, one for the road. Uh, As we are taping this, as I said, uh, Chelsea, is uh, getting ready to uh, play. Alex Dowd is eagerly waiting the uh, opportunity to uh, to watch that, either pay for it or to illegal stream it, which I, I he's definitely not doing that. But uh, as I mentioned last week, uh, Tim Howard, our friend, Tim Howard, U.S. goalkeeping uh, legend, has started his new job over there at NBC in front of the camera as a uh, I guess you would call him a pundit, like we all are. We wish him the the best. I'll give you a little story about uh, Tim Howard and how I came to know uh, Tim Howard. Uh, I've told you before that uh, I had the uh, the privilege and the honor uh, to attend Rutgers, which is the State University of New Jersey. For those that don't know, Tim Howard uh, was born and raised in uh, in New Jersey. I was at Rutgers in the late eighties and the early nineties when uh, Tim was just a a young kid and growing up in and around the area that Rutgers is in exit nine off the turnpike there in, uh, in New Brunswick. Uh, While I didn't know it at the time, Tim Howard uh, was watching me play as I ran around on the field for Rutgers university and kicked everything that moved and, uh, uh, was improving as a, as a player as we went along. I, I came to find out that he had watched me because years later, we were on the same team with the, uh, what then were the Metro Stars. I got traded to the Metro Stars and this would have been in 1998. And uh, Tim was just coming up uh, and he was a very young goalkeeper, apprentice almost back up to then Tony Miola who was playing at the Metro Stars. 
And I walked into the locker room after being traded from uh, New England down to the Metro Stars. I walked into the, lo the locker room for the first time, as you often do when you have a new team. And the first thing you do is you go around and introduce yourself to everybody. And uh, I ran around and I was introducing myself to, to different people. And, and then ultimately I sat down in my locker and uh, a, young, a young man who I hadn't encountered and hadn't been introduced to walked up and said, hi, Alexi, my name is Tim. Uh, I said, hi, Tim, how are you? I'm Alexi. He said, my name's Tim Howard. And then I, uh, I used to watch you play. I said, oh, really? Where did where, you watch me play? He said, well, I grew up uh, around Rutgers. And I used to go and watch your uh, Rutgers University games. And I was a ball boy. <laughs> and I, was, I used to hand you the ball when you used to try to do uh, long throw-ins. And uh, even though I was at the time... Uh, relative to life, very, very young. I was still an older type of uh, player and more experienced type of player. And that's all I needed for him to remind me about how old I was uh, to say, all right, that's, that's wonderful, young man. You go over there and you sit down in your locker and you don't talk to me for, for a while. But thank you for making me feel old. Now, Tim went on, as we all know, to have an incredible career and to do some, uh, some wonderful things on and off the field. And I, you know, I'd be lying if I told you that it wasn't very, very quickly apparent. It was. You could tell the talent that he had. Now, could you tell where he was ultimately going to go? Not necessarily. Uh, and as I said, he was backing up uh, Tony Miola at the time. But the, uh, the ability that he had and the quality of person that he was put him in good stead. And if I had to have predicted at the time, it would have been very easily despite the fact that he made me feel very, very old, uh, to predict that he would have, uh, have success. So that was my initial uh, meeting with Tim Howard. And then over the years, uh, to see him grow and to see all of his success on and off the field is, uh, has just been wonderful. So the moral of the story is, if I am ever on a soccer field, uh, you should watch in some way, shape, or form. And if you can be a ball person, that's even better because good things will happen to you ultimately in, uh, in life and in soccer. Mossy, anything before we head out into the uh, great wide world here? <laughs> uh, th this podcast doesn't drop until after this game occurs, so this is a pretty pointless update, but just for your own edification, uh, Pulisic not even on the bench today. Uh, I guess he's not 100% fit, as I had seen reported. Well, I think that then we can sign off here by saying that the number 10 is officially dead in soccer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Havertz and Werner do start. Uh, uh, one bit of good news on the American front. Uh, Dortmund play a German Cup match today and Gio Reyna is starting that one. So you have something to watch. Uh, nice, nice, nice. So when you hear this on Tuesday, you'll know that retroactively you could have watched this game on Monday. You could have. And if you, if you are, if the only reason that you were going to spend the money uh, to, to get the uh, streaming uh, part was because of Pulisic, you will have saved yourself uh, some money. All right. Regardless, I hope you, in, uh, you enjoy the week. We will talk to you and we will see you again. Thank you so much as always for tuning in uh, and for downloading and subscribing and rating and sending us all of your comments. Do use that hashtag ask Alexi or has hashtag ask Mossy out there and let us know of anything that you are thinking about. Mossy, anything before we head out? That's it. All right. We'll see you next week. And as always, size the day. <laughs>